0: Hi, everybody, Sarah Goodyear here. Before we start the episode, a quick shout out to a new podcast from our friends over at transitcenter.org. It's called High Frequency. High Frequency tells the stories of the people who are fighting to make transit faster, better, and more reliable in cities all across the United States. To win the war on cars, we need transit that really works for everybody, and that's what High Frequency is all about. You can find it on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And now, the war on cars
1: should
2: we just like walk up to the
1: kiosk and see what's going on
0: this
2: kiosk is 207 square feet it would park one SUV for bikes it can park 20 bikes at a time and and if you look down the street there's a parking lot that is 10 times as big as the kiosk and how many cars are in there 10 cars at most show me how this thing
1: works like you're getting a bike out maybe or
2: something sure when you arrive at the pod you can you scan the door open
1: so, so you don't need you guys don't have to have any like personnel here it's just yeah. all completely self-serve
2: the fact that this can run by itself for 24 7 and doesn't need constant oversight where somebody needs to physically be here makes the whole thing work it's kind of a no-brainer it's like i mean we must have dozens of these across around every major transit hub in the New York City region, no? From your lips to God's ears. That's something shabazz, that's a lot.
1: Hello and welcome to the War on Cars, the podcast that definitely does not have its lips to God's ears. Because if we did, there would be a lot fewer cars in New York City. I am Aaron Napperstack, and I'm here with my co-hosts Doug Gordon and Sarah Goodyear. Guys, happy New Year! Happy, happy New year. year! Happy New
0: Year! Happy. So, decade. so you said you were going to come back with with some good news, some good news for us to start out the new year, and and this is what you came back with: bicycle parking in Jersey City.
1: Yeah, we said you know we said we wanted to kick off the new year with an episode about things that are going right in the world and this this is all I could find you know, that's it the unipod yeah. <laughs> the, uni the bike parking facility in Jersey City
3: okay. I, I have heard from listeners that they tune into us to not be reminded of just how horrible the world is so this is a good way to start start things
1: off
0: It's true it's a place it's a place to begin
1: yeah exactly so so that tape at the top was a guy named Josef Kessler he works for a company called Uni. And Uni is something that is definitely going right in the world. They are a scrappy, hardworking startup company based in Brooklyn. They are overcoming all kinds of obstacles and challenges to develop secure bike parking facilities at big transit stations around the New York metro region. And I visited that pod in Jersey City. They just opened one up here in Brooklyn. And Doug, you were actually at the big grand opening, were you not?
3: Yeah, there was a big ribbon cutting of sorts. And a bunch of local elected officials were there. The speaker of the city council was there. And uh, yeah, it's great. I'm, I'm a huge bike parking nerd. I, I think it is the secret weapon in the war on cars. It really is the key to unlocking so much potential for cycling in cities. It's great if you have safe places to ride. And we're getting more of those in New York all the time but we don't have a whole lot of great places to park our bikes so that's the next step
0: yeah i mean it's it's a hugely important thing for people if they have invested in a bicycle to be able to feel like they can put it somewhere secure and that's a it's a really big barrier actually for a lot of people like it's it's cool to park your car places and you can do that safely but not your bike
1: So on today's episode, we're going to be talking about secure bike parking at transit stations and in general and why it is actually quite important and transformative. And more than that, we're also going to be talking about the challenge of trying to make change happen in cities and how much persistence and work it takes even to implement an idea that I said at the top when I was talking to Yosef, that seems like a a no brainer. Um, something that we know works, that shouldn't be all that expensive or difficult to do, that doesn't require any real you know, new technology necessarily. And that just seems like we should have more of. And we've got the, the perfect guy to join us for this conversation, a special guest sitting in the studio with us today, Shabazz Stewart, the chief executive officer and co-founder of Uni. Shabazz, welcome to the War on Cars.
4: Uh, thank you so much, Aaron, Doug, uh, Sarah, for having me. I'm a huge fan. It's uh, an honor to be here. Oh, he's honored.
1: We're, wow. we're we're glad to have you. <laughs> you, guys. Apparently, he did the
4: Bike Snob radio show before us. Oh, not not well, morning. we're
0: going to.
1: You,
4: you guys were scheduled for us, though. Oh, okay. Uh, Bike <laughs> Snob came <Kings, laughs> totally last minute. It's just a warm-up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. This is the main event. Snob. you're just warming up.
0: But before we do that, we have some business to take care of. Um, we do depend on your Patreon contributions to keep the podcast going. And thank you so much to all of our contributors. If you could, please chip in a few dollars to the war effort. Go to thewaroncars.org and click Donate.
1: As always, we'll send you stickers, T-shirts, and all kinds of great War on Cars swag. You will even get early access to some releases of special episodes and things every so often, and we will you know, appreciate you a lot. And we have some
3: big news for 2020. We are doing our first live podcast recording. It's going to be on Monday, February 10th at Bicycle Colorado's annual Moving People Forward Conference. That is in Denver. You can register for the event at bicyclecolorado.org. We're going to do a second live show that's going to be at the National Bike Summit hosted by the League of American Bicyclists in Washington, D.C. That happens March 15th through 17th. We will not be recording for those three days. We'll be on one of those days. You can check out more by going to bikeleague.org slash summit.
0: And having just addressed some uh, stickers to our Patreon contributors, I happen to know that we have contributors both in Denver and in the Washington, D.C. metro area. So if you are one of those people, here's your, here's your chance to, right. to you know, see us in person and, it, it, and complain you, to if us If you wanna in hear
1: how insane we sound without an editor, this <laughs> right, is your exactly. chance, people. Yeah. Maybe we are gonna need those three days in D.C. <laughs> I don't know,
3: we'll see. Um, we're excited to see you. I'm very excited to meet all these people and, and do the show, it's gonna be great. We hopefully will have some big guests, so stay tuned.
1: So, so guys, bike parking in Jersey City, Seems like a small thing, but it's not, right? Like, why, why is this important? Why are we talking about this?
3: You know, many cities across the country are investing in safe bicycle lanes and, and places for people to ride of all ages, but the, the missing link is parking. Uh, we're often parking to lampposts and street signs and fences and even trees, and a lot of times you're not even sure if your bike's going to be there when you come back. So in order to make cycling a reliable form of transportation, you need to rely on the fact that your bike's going to be there at the end of your trip. So I really think there's a lot of potential if cities were to focus on bike parking above almost anything else.
0: Yeah, I think that the the stress that people talk about when they talk about not having secure bike parking is really a big factor in making the decision to use a bicycle for transportation or not.
1: And, and actually the stress the stress issue came up a lot. When I was interviewing people out there at the Unipod in Jersey City, people talked a lot about how much the, the, just having secure bike parking alleviates their stress. And Shabazz, I mean, your story, the story of this company, as I understand it, it starts with you having your own bike stolen
4: repeatedly. Is that is that Three right? Three times in five years. So tell, so tell us how, tell, give us the origin story. Uh, So I uh, used to work for a business improvement district. I I was deputy director of operations for the downtown Brooklyn partnership. And I relied um, uh, during the warmer months on a bicycle to uh, get to work. And in April of 2015, uh, my bike was stolen off the streets in downtown Brooklyn. Uh, That was my third bike in a period of five years. And um, you know, having the benefit of some operational know-how, uh, and having the trauma of being a recent victim uh, of bike theft, I kind of thought, well, wait a second here. This is common sense infrastructure for any form uh, of transit that we hope to scale. We we can't um, we can't approach um, cycling uh, from only the safety element where we've got protected bicycle lanes. So. Uh, then I started to think about how do we address some of the other fissures and the experience? And that's how Uni was was born.
0: So so let's hear from somebody who's actually using this thing.
4: I wouldn't be able to bike to uh,
1: work if this wasn't here. Uh, when I bought my bike, I told the dude who sold it to me. Um, I plan on uh, locking it up at Turtle Square. And he was like, don't do that, it's gonna get jacked. But then, uh, right after I bought it, this came along. and. Park my bike here. I feel all right about it. So, what's the difference in your life—the fact that you can, you know, bike more, and you don't have to take the bus as much? I get to leave my apartment at eight fifteen instead of eight. And d- and you know what? If I uh, if I don't make it to the gym during my lunch hour, well, my bike my bike home is uh,
4: exercise for me.
3: So, can we roll it back? Can you explain though? Like, how does what does an uni bike parking facility look like, and how does it work?
4: An uni bike parking facility is a uh, kiosk that you find uh, on the street Uh, it's enclosed so you have to enter with a key card or with a phone you go inside and it's basically a bike room it's an interior bike room you know in the future we're going to have some self-locking racks we'll have some more it but right now it's a nice bike bike room on the inside uh the innovation point comes from a few areas one it it looks good yeah i guess i was really struck by the fact that
1: it was It was clearly designed it was like very thoughtfully designed and constructed and you could feel that in you know but but simple you know it's not it's
4: not some like massive architectural thing but it was designed the challenge with bike infrastructure you see uh, prisons for bikes bike cages you see bike lockers these these all harken back to this idea that if you're going to protect something it's got to be very you know metallic and kind of boxy um, and that's, that's a non-starter. The rule one-on-one in public space is um, it's got to be something that is uh, attractive and it's got to be something that's, that's suitable for marquee urban environments. So we attacked Uni with a design philosophy that married placemaking um, with transportation infrastructure. And placemaking just means that we think of the 40,000 people who walk by that kiosk in journal square as our users too. What is the experience like for them?
1: I gotta say, I mean, that concept in itself, I think about that a lot with cars. Like what if car makers started thinking of the people outside of their cars as users too? Right. And then you would think like, okay, well, our, car- our cars should not hurt those other users. <laughs> yeah. Our cars should be, you know, they shouldn't be like so noisy
0: but, you know, I, I think this is something It's like a bigger point about the way that especially uh, cities in the United States are. It's like this idea that that getting around should be um, should be pleasant and stress free and aesthetically appealing. It's just it seems like. I don't know, at least in New York, like, it's supposed to be, like, a struggle to, to get it anywhere. <laughs> right. Like, you're a native New Yorker, Shabazz. Like, yeah, born right? And Isn't it like, like, We're
1: supposed to be rats in the maze, right? Well, Right.
0: Yeah. And like, and like, when you get your bike stolen, that's kind of like, yeah, yeah, I got you my bike stolen. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, you're but like, Yorker that's now. just, that's just uh, that's nonsense. Bullshit. It's, bullshit. it's yeah. just, it's a terrible way to be. And, and it's like, we wear it like it's a badge of pride or something it's not a badge of pride
4: it's it's not it's not it's not feasible if we seek to get to a place where cycling is a um, mainstream form of transport so we have 500,000 bike trips a day in New York on average and we want to get to a world where we have 2 million so the question is how do we find those 1.5 million trips a day and convince those folks that this is something that will actually be more suitable for you than riding in an Uber or, or walking or taking the train. Uh, and so UNI on its face is a secure bike parking facility, but it's also born out of a desire to think through how we can convince people that this is a mode of transport um, worth utilizing.
0: Okay, so, so what I'm hearing is that this is, it's sensible, it's needed, it's not hard. Uh, there are prototypes, there are, you know, uh, templates. And and yet, <laughs> it has been kind of hard. And, and uh, from what I understand from having read some stuff that you've written, Shabazz, you've come up in the course of your efforts to do this and other things, you've come up against a lot of obstacles. And maybe you could talk a little sure. bit about that, because you've written about it really eloquently.
4: Thank you. Thank you. Um, look, whenever you try to break the status quo and you try to innovate, Um, you're going to inherently uh, ask people to do things differently. And you're going to ask people to um, break the rules that maintain the status quo. Um, And so what we're trying to do with UNI is ask people to reimagine the role of public space and trying to cohere um, bike-friendly infrastructure um, to – uh public transit we're not used to in america thinking about bikes as public transit um so our our biggest challenge is acquiring real estate um, getting uh, cities and governments to start to to think about bikes seriously i i I think there's a lot of lip service paid um, by folks to being um, environmentally friendly to to being green to, to being bike friendly but we're asking folks to, um, to 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 put their money where their mouth is
0: and uh, how what is the wh- how much does it cost to
4: to, 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 park to park your, park bike? your
0: bike there yeah. right
4: now zero dollars
3: I'm a member of the one at the Atlantic terminal, and it is zero dollars. I just signed up, downloaded an app, and I can get a code when I show up and bring my bike in
1: so you know uni's business model requires um you know this sort of billboard advertising yeah. in public space and is that Is that the price we have to pay for bike
4: parking? So, yes. When we designed UNI, um, the business model, the goal was to remove the economic burden from the people on bikes and and place them elsewhere. We realized very quickly that if we ported over a car-based economic model where people were going to pay for parking, A, it it wouldn't be very popular with cyclists. We, we We wouldn't be able to serve effectively the community edison has uh, some secure bike parking in their facilities they offer it for about a dollar a day that's one of the big car parking operators yeah and then and they and they've look they've been the most progressive because remember parking lots in new york are required to and they actually are far ahead of anyone else in that in that sector. And that's considered to be by most cyclists not affordable.
3: I think that the bike parking garage near me charges something like fifty nine dollars a month or something like yep. that. And after just a few months you could just buy a new bike. You, yeah. You know? yeah. It's it's not
4: totally. it's something that you know we haven't thought carefully about as, as policymakers. If if we if a Metro card costs hundred and thirty dollars a month and a City Bike costs fourteen dollars a month, why are you charging people fifty nine dollars a month? to To park their bike, so we said, "Look, we don't charge people to use bus shelters and newsstands, and we don't charge people to 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 use Lincoln YC, and we charge people very little to use bike share. If we are going to get to a place where this can really scale in cities, we're going to need private capital. The concern about if we are going to be in a place where every public space is sponsored by Coca Cola is very valid, and so." The best we can do now is say is be honest and say, look, we have to, we have, to have choices here. And, and with choices come priorities. Do we think that secure bike parking uh, and bike parking infrastructure is valid enough a cause to be treated like public transportation? And if it is, let's have a conversation about the mechanisms to which we're going to use to finance that. Are we going to have subsidies? I would love a subsidy. Uh, we don't subsidize city bike, by the way, right? Are we going to have advertising? Are we going to have a tax or something else, right? I mean, but do you worry at all that
1: just like you know the port authority or the MTA or the city government will just say like, uh, "What do we need uni for?" We'll just build this ourselves. That'd like, be great. This should be public infrastructure. You no, know, look, you know, if, like if I, bike racks aren't
4: built by a private company, but
3: then couldn't you become the contractor who builds that thing? That would be a good business. Yeah, i my if, I'd suppose. If
4: I go out of business, I, I want it to be for the right reason. Yeah. If, if New York City said we're gonna do it ourselves, we're gonna build it ourselves, I'd say you know what, uh, I have other markets I can go to, but but I'm um, amazing. You you sound confident that this is not gonna happen. <laughs> no, I. <laughs> uh, I, I, look, well, here in New York, we tend to export a lot of public transit to private to private operators. The cities could offer their own bike share systems, they could offer their own bus shelters. Those are all handled by private operators. I don't see a reason why cities would start to build these kinds of massive infrastructure outlays on their own when there are other revenue streams and sources that can be leveraged.
1: So for me, it helps just kind of alleviate any stress or worries I have about my bike or my scooter. Uh, my bike's handle grip got stolen. So you know, once in a while, I, I when I parked her, it just caused a little bit of stress for me. And then having this here, uh, it makes it uh, just kind of peace of mind, knowing that my scooter's locked up. No one's gonna steal from it. It's just a lot less worry in general. You know, there there are a lot of tech companies, new mobility companies that are rolling into cities and they're, you know, they're dropping their apps on our phones and their devices on our streets. And, you know, they come from Silicon Valley or wherever they come from. You grew up in New York City. You've been walking, biking, riding transit in New York City your entire life. And I'm curious if you think that that makes any difference or specifically informs the work you're doing. Uh,
4: uh, 100%. Unfortunately, we get a lot of entrepreneurs who work in cities and specifically work on issues of mobility in cities who don't understand cities or don't care about cities. This manifests all the time. And when I have conversations with other thought leaders, you know, I've become a a bit more thoughtful uh, about bringing up the issue of diversity and and inclusivity in uh, in the space of, of mobility entrepreneurship because so many of these companies are, are, are mostly white men who are from the suburbs. And when we look at New York City, one out of every four people is black in New York City, one out of every four is Latino. Why don't we have more diversity and more diverse voices representing us in these spaces? If we're going to design the future of New York City streets, we ought to have at the planning table, voices who grew up in New York City from a diverse array of perspectives. So case in point, when, when I pitch Uni to government, the question I often get is, how come it's so cheap? How come it's free? How come you're not charging people more? You could probably charge people $10 a month. And, and, I, and I'm like, listen, you know, I, I'm a poor kid from Brooklyn. <laughs> right. I, I, my friends ain't paying $10 <laughs> a month to park their bicycle. And sure enough, you know, we have a lot of working cyclists. We have a lot of delivery folks. we got people who are messengers. And they make $25,000, $30,000 a year. They cannot afford to pay $15 a month to park their bike. What about them? Their voices have to be represented at the table.
3: I, I, you know, th- you brought that up. One of the things that's been interesting to follow with Uni are the working cyclists who use your service. Because I tend to use my bike as a means of getting to and from my job. And so I'm excited to get back on it when my job for the day ends. But for the working cyclists, what I've noticed is they leave their bikes there overnight because their job is riding their bike all day or all night. And then at the end of their shift, they toss it in one of your facilities and they take the subway home.
4: Yeah, that's a that's a great point. And and this is a moment for me to reflect on my own ignorance, because when we launched our downtown um, Manhattan location back in 2018, I um, we turned our lights off at 12 am because we were conserving power we were solar powered and i uh, on the app i can see who logs in and logs out and i saw there were two logins you know there was felix and there was anthony and i was and they were right next to each other at 12 15 in the morning and my first reaction was someone's stealing why why because my biggest oh, fear wow. at the point was, was 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 someone's going to register for this thing and they're going to come in at late and they're going to start clipping oh, yeah, bikes right. and so I emailed both of them. I was like, "What are you guys up to?" I didn't say <laughs> I didn't say that, but I said, "Hey, how's it going? Notice you logged in. Is everything okay?" And I said, yeah, you know, we work nearby. We're delivery guys, and we were coming into after our shift to lock our bikes up. And by the way, it was dark. Um, wow. Wow. <laughs> and I, 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 you know, a I felt really bad, but but b I realized then that wow, this is a whole use case that we hadn't even considered. Right. And, and you know, whether it's arrogance, whether it's just that they're invisible but you know shame on me for for not at that time contemplating that you know ultimately 30% of our users would be people who use their bicycles for work
0: yeah i mean that's that's so fascinating and i feel like that just plays into something that that you see in discussions about bicycle infrastructure across this country all the time and that's there's often this perception that bicycle infrastructure is a gentrification move, that it's for people of means and that it signals that uh, you know, this neighborhood is now entering into a gentrification cycle in which it's going to become a place for people of means. Yeah. And I was wondering if you've encountered that as a response to Uni yes. at all and 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 how you deal with that and, and how you reckon with that. And sure. then like and Because precisely as you're saying, the people, a lot of the people who need secure bike infrastructure are working people who, their bicycles are their tools. So how do you deal with that?
4: People are reacting not to bicycles and bicycle infrastructure. They're reacting to the whiteness of the movement, of the advocacy movement to support bicycles and bike infrastructure. And when you see um advocates and when you see people uh, on city bike and when you see um you know traditional cyclists often the hosts, the hosts <laughs> of the war on cars <laughs> no yeah. I, look I mean, no i, I look I, they're, they're 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 often front and center in, in how we perceive the bicycle movement and so the, and that has been um people who don't like bikes have used that i think the new york post um called steve Cuzo said that cyclists were all these middle-aged white men tech bros right But here's the thing it's not true those same people are committing the cardinal sin of a racist classist paradigm by basically treating working cyclists who constitute a massive 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 portion uh, of bike nyc as invisible they're they're treating them as invisible like they don't matter and i and i come up against this a lot in community board meetings where People will say, no one bikes here. This is not a neighborhood where people bike. Right, it's like, and they'll order takeout. Do you, yeah, do you get food delivered yeah, to your they'll, door? They'll, they'll order takeout. You know, I'm going home. I'm going to order on seamless. And how do you think that it gets there? It's a problem that is systemic. It goes beyond bikes where we treat people who are black and brown as invisible because they're not riding on nice bikes and because they're not you know, wearing, You know, I don't have bumper stickers that say everyone on a bike, right? They're doing it as a as, as part of their job. And so... No, I would encourage our brothers and sisters who, um, you know, mean well. When we talk about the affordability crisis and gentrification, to look at cycling more holistically than just, you know, young white men on bikes. Look in your look in your street and look at you know when you order food. Who's are they getting there? They're getting there on bikes, and those bikes are taking car trips.
3: But I think it's like you're separating. Also, the movement has a a white problem. It has a problem. Oh, the sure. movement for sure versus the people who are actually out there on streets, using bikes. Like you said, are in large cases not people like me.
4: And that's not tr- that's just not limited to bikes. We right. we often have a problem where the people who are the advocates and messengers are perhaps more privileged than the folks that they're messaging on behalf of. Right. Um. We see that problem systemically in a, lot, a number of issues. Right.
0: I had bought my bike over the summer because of this place. Uh, I commute into uh World Trade Center via the path, and I never really wanted to buy a bike because I was always worried it was going to get stolen. And then when this came up, I was like, okay, okay, this is cool. I'm going to get a bike now.
3: We've been talking a lot about New York or Jersey City. Are you in discussions with other cities to export this outside of the tri state area?
4: Yeah, you know, um, Our goal, our our 2020 resolution is to find someone, um, ideally in New York, but someone who wants to do 20 of these so we can really build it the right way because Uni was designed to operate on scale. I didn't get involved with this project to build one or two or three. I got involved to build hundreds. We're looking for a city that will... Provide us um, or a state that will provide us with the real estate to to get to that vision. Uh, we've been talking to LA. We were talking to Miami Dade County. We've been talking to Boston, Denver. We're still hoping that we find someone on a state or, or local level. States control lots of real estate in cities that say you know will say, look, this is a this is a good product, a good story, makes sense. As Aaron said, why aren't we doing this everywhere? And we're going to work to circumnavigate the challenges that exist to bring this to market in our city. We don't have years to wait and millions of dollars of resources to navigate an RFP process. So that's been a key a key obstacle for, for us.
0: It seems like in a way what is needed is a sense of competition among cities in the United States to to be the first city to really Start putting all of the pieces into place to, to make, uh you know, bike infrastructure work as a holistic solution for people who bike to work or bike as work. Some sense of like, you know, no, L.A. is going to do it. No, New York's going to do it.
1: Shabazz should run like an Amazon HQ2 competition. <laughs> yeah, that's you right. Know, like yeah. Which city will host the next... So, so
4: I will say that you know there have been some encouraging signs on um, that regard. Um, lots of cities are actually thinking holistically. Jersey City just released uh, a really awesome bike master plan. Bike parking has been in the strategic plan for New York City DOT since 2016. For the first time uh, in the Green Wave, there was there was hidden in the Green Wave a reference to a dispersed secure bike parking RFI request for expressions of interest. That's really exciting that no city has ever done that before where they've, they've said, we're going to think about secure bike parking on a citywide platform and we're going to incur, we're going to solicit bids. We think that if that happens here, it will happen very quickly in other cities. Our challenge is to get to a place where we have a number of these in operation. So our proof of concept is solid and then build a political narrative around the need for this kind of infrastructure so that people feel inclined to move quicker and realize it's not as big of a risk as it might seem uh, last year.
3: Maybe that gets to kind of where we started, which is that cities are not designed for change. The structure and and, uh, organizations of city government are not designed for, you know, Request for expression of interest to me suggests something that's going to take years, years we don't have in the age of climate change. And yet here you are, this very nimble startup company with literally a like build it up like a Lego set, uh beautifully designed kiosk that can just be dropped down with work. I'm I'm oversimplifying it, but you don't want to play that game necessarily. You can't afford it. It's not necessary, like, let's just get it out there and see what works.
4: You know, um, cities can move very quickly when they like uh, yeah. and, and not very quickly when they don't want to. I yeah. mean, so, look, I, I don't I don't know if the governor listens to the war on cars, but, you know, but my dream scenario, probably not likely, I get it. My, my dream scenario is... Uh, is <laughs> Andrew to, Cuomo, if you're listening, <laughs> yeah.
3: we will send I, you uh, one of these pods and a war on cars t-shirt. I, 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 uh,
4: my dream scenario would be to find someone like a Governor Cuomo or Mayor de Blasio or, a, you know, a Governor Phil Murphy and say, um, hey, listen, can I sit down with you for 20 minutes and just tell you what we're up to? And I think this is a win for everybody. It's a, you know, Governor Cuomo has spoken very eloquently about the need to support small businesses in New York. Um, we're a local small business. We are a non-traditional founders, diverse team. Most of our team is African-American. And we're working in New York City, bringing positive change to New York City. What's not to like? That's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah, No. So,
0: so Governor Cuomo, if you're out there, this is this is your chance to.
1: uh, We will send you a War on Cars keychain for your (laughs) muscle car. (laughs) exactly.
0: Exactly. Do the right thing.
1: I think that's a wrap. Shabazz, thanks so much for, for coming out and talking
4: to us that was really it was a real pleasure. Thank we you to ha- have thank you for having me and uh, keep on doing awesome work.
0: Yeah we, we will and and if all of our listeners out there uh, would take the time to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, that really helps to uh, bring people to the podcast and you can always write us with comments, questions, complaints, rants uh, to the war on cars at gmail.com. As always,
3: we'd like to thank our top Patreon supporters, Charlie G. of Human Powered Law in Portland, Oregon, the Law Office of Vicar & White in New York City, Huck and Elizabeth Finney, and Drew Raines. Also, don't forget, we've got a couple of live shows coming up. We'll put links to registration and tickets in the show notes for both of those.
1: This episode was recorded by Marcus Dembinski at the Brooklyn Podcasting Studio. It was edited by Ali Lemer. Our theme music is by Nathaniel Goodyear. I'm Aaron Napperstack.
0: I'm Doug Gordon. I'm Sarah Goodyear, and this is the War on Cars.
2: Yeah, okay, this all your your audience members will like this. Yeah, I want to devote my life to the War on Cars. <laughs> wow! <laughs> Donate today to the War on Cars podcast.
1: Oh yeah, okay. Leo, Be
2: a Patreon subscriber now. You're hired. Shabazz, we're taking this guy.